aloe. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, assistant. Hello. Hello. Yeah. To just say hello like Adele would say hello. <laughs> and that's pretty much the thing. Ah. Hello. Hello. This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. Hello, I am Joe Darnell, and you're listening to episode number 55. And with me is Mr. Josh DePythe. How are you doing? Hey, man. Uh, it's been a long time. It feels like it's been a couple of months, but maybe only a one month. I don't know. Yeah, the fortnightly schedule means that we just don't have as many shows, you know? And then if you miss one, it has been a month. Yeah, I've uh, just been really busy, a lot of stuff going on, and uh, can't really go public with it right now, but uh, maybe in a few weeks. Exciting life events. I'm very happy for you, buddy. Yeah. We also have with us our friend, Sean Patrick John Paul George Rango Duran. How are you doing, sir? Hola, amigos. Como estas? Welcome back. It's been a while. It How's it up there in a, a northern country? Uh, it is pipingly hot. Uh, right now it's about 88 degrees and humid. And uh, upstairs is even hotter than outside. So Ooh. it's fun. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we, can, we are prepared here in Georgia. We, we turn down the air conditioning about, about a week before summer lands. We get it nice and frigid inside so it's about normal when it hits 95, 98, it got up into the mid nineties today, I think, and pretty muggy outside. Yeah. Uh, this is when in Georgia you hibernate, you, you just to stay away from all the humidity. It's not the heat that'll kill you. Oh no. It's the humidity. Yeah. Just feeling swampy and sluggish. It's, uh, it's fun. And, and it's not that like as uh, low as the air I can put it to, it doesn't really matter. The upstairs is always at least 15 degrees hotter. Uh, since it's a old building so my my office is in the basement which saves my life Uh, i envy you so much it is so good (laughs) except except that the air is controlled upstairs so it's usually good but if it's bad there's not much i can do about it Mm. sounds like you need a nest or something like that it does doesn't it Mm. you know i was in lowe's the other day and i saw that they took away their nest display and replaced it with an amazon echo display hmm Oh, yeah. And I talked a little bit with the Amazon Echo display model. It was just a demo version, but I got a feel for it. And I got to say, I was impressed by its its weight and the feel of it. It's got, it's got good materials. It doesn't look cheap. No. I know the pictures do it justice, but seeing it in person, it looked as good as I would say it, it would qualify as a... Uh, a good Beats product, I wouldn't exactly say an Apple product, but a good Beats product, if you know what I mean. Like, it, it's, it looks more uh, qualitative than the Amazon Kindles, in my opinion. Just a little bit. Looks substantive. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I've played with one at, at my uh, friend's house, and it is surprisingly, like, fun to use and also useful, like, uh, it, how it's connected. Like, every light bulb in his house crazy enough is a hue like a phillips hue light bulb um so you can pretty much tell it to do whatever in any room into any setting i wish siri would do something like that did you try talking to the device from another room to see how well it could hear um yeah it doesn't i'm curious doesn't pick it up as well 
you have to be closer. He's actually thinking about getting another one. Okay. Just so it covers his whole house. Or at least getting the the smaller version. The, what is it called? The the dot? The Echo Dot? I've sort of heard about that, but at the same time, I know nothing about it. It's pretty much the same thing, except without the speaker. Oh, so okay. you can hook, hook it up to an external speaker or not. It's just basically the input side. So Yeah, it looks like one of those shower-sized Bluetooth speakers. You know, it's a much more portable tennis ball-sized unit. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it can get around more. Well, uh, it's like a paperweight. That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> and that's what it'll be in two years when it's out, out of date. You know, it'll just be a paperweight. Yeah. Best-looking paperweight. <laughs> I have a few of those kinds of objects sitting around my desk. I actually got iPhones around here iPhone 4s sitting on my desk as paperweights. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so we're going to get into interfaces because we all care about the events that are going to come around the corner from WWDC. I'm excited to hear about some announcements, whatever Apple wants to unveil. And there's been a lot of discussion about what they're going to do with Siri and MacBook Pros and OS 10 transitioning into uh, what they're going to call macOS, supposedly. So I think that we have a great group here that um, has a wish list, like things that we care to see change on iOS, macOS, or watchOS, or Apple TV even, from time to time. And it'd be great to see changes to the platform, to the software. And uh, Sean, I, I feel like this is one of your, your specialities. Uh, you, you care a lot about interfaces. So surely there's been a thing here and there that uh, comes to your mind when you're tinkering with your phone or something and you think, oh, wouldn't it be great if I if we could get this? Maybe you saw it from another device and you'd like it to see it carried over to Apple's offering or maybe you just saw something on the internet. And I mean, I, I, <laughs> anything goes on a wish list, right? Oh, yeah. I, I kept mine more uh, to the ground rather than up in the sky. But yeah, I have a wish list nonetheless. Sweet. And so <laughs> I thought we should do is we should go round robin um, start with iOS, um, talk about the things that are interesting to us for that platform and then move on. Um, I'll let you go first, Sean, since you're the guest. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Um, yeah. So the number one thing I might list, uh, actually had like a lot for this, uh, but I struck it all through up of my, my top <laughs> okay, so, one. So you crossed it out. I didn't know if you crossed it out or Joe crossed it out. I thought, well, that's like, pretty rude nope. of Joe. <laughs> nope. All this is terrible. I'm going to cross it out. <laughs> Yeah, I realize wish list is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I realized like everyone has like at least one and I was like, I have 10 or so. Um, so I decided to pair back. But yeah, the number one thing I was looking for, it would be some way to chat with Siri, not necessarily talk to Siri, because sometimes the situation doesn't call for you yelling into your device. It, it's simple as that. I want to make I want to use the capability of Siri without having to talk. Uh, so some way to chat would be amazing. Right. So what do you I, mean I have, by chat? Well, do I, think, you, I think what he's saying is is basically just swipe down to Spotlight and just type your question instead of saying it. And I've always thought, why would they not have done this? Because it takes a huge variable out of the whole AI human experience because you don't have to figure out what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying because I'm typing it in. It, it kind of takes the, the voice recognition side out of it and then should make it easier to come up with intelligent answers but i have no idea why they've never done that yeah i'm not sure either uh it's pretty it, crazy I feel like it, that way you could even like circumvent 
going to Google, which I know Apple's all about like giving you answers straight up. If you use Siri, it has other providers like Bing uh, or Twitter or anything else to give you an instant instant answer. So I feel like having a way to use Siri exactly how it is right now today, but you know, typing could be that much useful. And then even like, this is sort of teetering the line of like another wish list item, but having like an API as sort of like how Amazon Echo has, um, which if you haven't looked into it, it's actually sort of like the wild west out there. You can really do anything uh, with Amazon Echo right now. There isn't much approval if you once you get like your um, app approved or a skill, as they say, um, you can roughly tweak it to any kind of extent. It's not like the app store review process for iOS. Um, so I know Apple isn't in that nature, but something of that sort and opening up Siri a little bit would be, that's what I'm looking for. I, I do love that idea, especially about the Siri API functionality, because I, most of the apps that are on my home springboard, my home screen are not Apple default packaged apps. And it would be great if I could say, hey, Siri, open up uh, Instagram such and such, you know, timeline or, you know, hop over to the the reader, RSS feed, you know, reader app and go to my Apple topic, you know, collection. I, I would like to have that level of interaction. Mm-hmm. I, I realize that there would be some apps where it might be stifling to say, hey, open up one password and hop to my you know, my Amazon account, <laughs> perhaps uh, those password protected apps would uh, be se- severely handicapped with that kind of feature set. But I, yeah, I, I don't see why not. And I I want to say at some time of the past, Apple talked like they were going to offer APIs and they just never got around to it. Maybe that was my imagination though. And it, it just seems like such a given because she's your personal assistant. She's mm-hmm. not your Apple personal assistant. <laughs> if that's the case, I could understand if Apple wanted to describe her exclusivity to the Apple platform products and stuff and say, all those other apps, all the third-party developers, get your own personal assistance. We've got, we've got ours. You figure out what you're going to do. And, and, and obviously that wouldn't work because <laughs> it'd have to be supported on the platform level, on, on, on the iOS level, in order to interact with those assistants. So Duh, Apple, you've got to offer Siri APIs to your developer community. This is such a given. Yep. I mean, Google and Amazon are just are just really killing it in this area because they're not so closed down. So, yeah, that is my my top one, two, and three uh, wish list. <laughs> just basic Siri improvement. I mean, it really is really far behind. Um, so, yeah, Siri API is an obvious... Um, I guess my, my second would be a little bit of a refresh of the actual, uh, I guess, layout of apps, the UI, um, you know, especially on the iPad. I got this iPad Pro now. It lo- just looks so silly with having just icons on the screen. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're sh- I forgot about that. That's a great <clears throat> idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to have, you know, access to a calendar or my OmniFocus or, or something that you could even resize to a certain degree. You know, and if, if they want to stick with a grid, I understand that. Uh, but but something other than just icons, it just seems pretty pretty dated dated at this point. Um, hmm. So yeah, that'd be that'd be a nice thing, and, and I think it'd be a nice refresh to the to the feel and and function of iOS. 
Something we were going to get to later, if we have the time, uh, comes to mind when you mentioned that, Joshua, that essentially the app layout on the home screen with a bar at the top showing your, your signal coverage, your time, and your battery life is something that goes back to smartphones that predate the iPhone. And mm-hmm. while it feels natural at this point, like a clicky ink pen, you know, you just pick up any ink pen under the sun with a click at the top and you know what to do. Uh, it, it might also just be a little bit um, a little bit stale. I could see that. And I don't know that I want them to move in territory that, say, the Microsoft phones approached where they had widgets with content data brought to the home screen. But something, I don't know. <laughs> like, I like that this is an incredibly simple solution right now. Mm-hmm. It's not a far cry from the same experience on the Mac, you have your files or your shortcuts to apps and folders on your desktop. You have your dock bar and you have your menu bar. It's not all that different between iOS and macOS, but it does feel like this is this interface has basically been around for forever. And maybe there is a way to update it. I haven't figured it out personally. Yeah, and going back to like how like the, everything is a remix. Uh, idea uh, with Siri and um, like the rise of chat bots and smart AI and uh, like Facebook Messenger, you can buy something by texting essentially uh, half robot, half person or Slack robots. Um, it, it feels like uh, it's going back to like the command line where you're telling the computer exactly what to do. But this time it's like the syntax is a lot looser and a lot smarter at identifying actually what you're trying to do rather than having you saying, rigid commands, and if you don't do it, ex- type it out exactly the right, it doesn't work. So it's like bridging that gap back to the good old days when it was simply command prompt. See, that's the thing, though, is I don't know that I want that. So <laughs> I, I could appreciate having more interaction that is more human and more natural mm-hmm. and more conversational with Siri. But it hadn't occurred to me that there are times and places where I would want to write text messages back and forward with her. Um, I, I'm trying to understand where where would there be a time when I don't want to audibly talk with Siri. I've got six uh, reasons, uh, six children, uh, and they're all, <laughs> we're driving <laughs> down the road, and you know they're all six talking, and you know I'm trying, and I say something to Siri, and everyone be quiet. I'm trying to talk to Siri, so I mean that would be a good example of uh, you know. And of and, course, your wife and most is normal, driving, right? most <laughs> normal people are take take trains to work and things like that, but you know I drive around with six kids, so it's it's pretty much the same amount of noise. So yeah, that noisy background would be off the top of my head would be a, a huge thing, and just not look stupid talking into your phone i mean some people have issues with that i, I don't i don't i don't care. <laughs> i don't care how i look but but that's actually a really good point oh i hadn't thought about that there are so many people that are conscientious about talking to siri and i get that well hmm, see it, see yeah. that doesn't bug me i figure it's it's going to happen anyway if it's not going to take uh, hold of this generation now it's going to take a hold in the next 10 years and maybe I'm just ahead of the curve because I'm talking to Siri off my wrist when my kids are at swimming <laughs> lessons and all the parents around me are looking at me like, who do you think you are, Dick Tracy? But I, I'm okay with it because I really don't want to handle my phone at that given moment. And I enjoy my watch. Hey, I spent $600 on this watch. I should be able to talk to it if I want. <laughs> Well, I, uh, going from uh, like the situations that you could 
use to like text Siri. Obviously, you wouldn't do a text message because you might as well open up the message in app and simply fire away. Uh, but did you see the Google I.O. keynote um, from, I think, it last week or two weeks ago? I didn't watch it, but I heard a lot of news from it. Yeah, surprisingly, like, other than the intro, which was like, why, why, why did you guys make these videos? It, other than that, it was all cool, actually. It didn't feel very Google-y, but it still had that Google vibe. But with the Allo, I believe that's how you pronounce it, uh, assistant. Allo. Allo. Yeah, to just say hello like Adele would say hello. <laughs> and that's pretty much a thing. Ah. Allo. Allo. <laughs> um, but it, one of the use cases was like, hey, you want to get like movie tickets um, for a certain date? And then it asks you, like, oh, do you want to bring your kids like last time? Yes, no. And then knows how to like how many tickets to order because they know how many people are in your family, where the closest theater is, where you usually go to. Um, and I think that's something that Google has an upper hand on is since they have access to all this data that is rather private um, and sort of unleashing it while Apple has a more staunch, uh, staunch like approach to your personal data shouldn't be um, like in our servers at any given time unless it has to be there. Um, and trying to anonymize everything. So Apple has like a hard leg up, which is where the APIs could be one of the sticking points that might not be because they didn't want it to happen. It's simply not in their nature or the roadmap to like open it up right out the gates. Hmm. All right, well, I will go ahead and uh, tackle my wish list item for the iOS. Yes. I, my, my thing is, is that I would like to be able to enjoy conversational speech with Siri a bit more. It's always fun to interact with her, and the more she can understand just human language, the better she is at actually getting me useful results. And nowadays, it's we still have this problem. She's several years old now, and she cannot understand uh, the request if you say it this one way, but she can understand it if you say it exactly with these other words and just the way that Apple programmers developed her. And it's really stifling because some days you just want to be able to, you know, think off of the top of your head. How would I say this? Hey, Siri, take a note. Here's what I want you to say, Siri. Um, put this down in the note, blah, 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 blah. Well, if you do that, she's never going to get you a note. She's going to say, I'm searching the web for, Hey, <laughs> get me a note. Or, you know, it's just going to break the system every time. And so you can't use natural language like, you know, we kind of do, but we really don't. And so that's what would be really exciting to me is if we could go from 20% accurate results in our queries and requests to at least 80% accuracy. A lot of people are saying that we might get that with um, one of their recent acquisitions called Vocal IQ. It seems very hopeful that if it's integrated this year, Siri could get a significant brain boost. Well, that would be good. It seems to be a theme uh, over all of the topics so far. I mean, well, not so far, but in the notes, uh, the Mac, of course, supposedly getting Siri. Um, the watch, of course, has Siri and the TV. And that's one of my biggest frustrations with the TV is, is the, the very same thing you're talking about, which is you say something a certain way. Like I, I think I might've said this on a show before, but I wanted it to play a certain cartoon on Netflix or in Netflix. I, I couldn't remember which one it worked, but one of them worked and one of them didn't. And it was just so frustrating. So yeah, I'm hoping the intelligence trickles down to all, all the product lines, because I think that's really the, 
one of the biggest shortfalls right now across the board. All right, Joshua. So it's your turn. Mac OS, what's your wish? I obviously just got off my Siri rant. They, they talk about bringing Siri to the Mac. I'm not sure how, how that's going to work. Maybe that could really, uh, I guess, part of the texting could be part of, of that on the computer since you're already at, at a keyboard. It makes a little bit more sense to, to use the keys. Um, but I guess one of the, you know, this is kind of random and it probably won't happen, but I just, I, we've got all of these online backup solutions and we have this old plug in a hard drive time machine from 2007 solution. You know, where is the iCloud backup? I, I really, I think we, we, you know, we're, we're far enough down the cloud computing thing that this, this shouldn't be an issue for Macs. I mean, they, they, it should just all be encrypted and backed up to iCloud maybe even for free. I mean, we're, we're paying a thousand dollars or more a computer, you know, that, that, that there should be some sort of free backup solution for, for computers. And I, I guess a lot of files are, are already you know being taken into account with, with photos and, and movies and, and things like that. But, um, it's just kind of a, one of these things that I've never quite understood why it doesn't uh, exist quite yet. You know, uh, there's third party apps that do it and, and they back it up to Dropbox or, or Amazon's you know storage, why not an, an integrated solution? So would you back up everything on the built-in drive, you know, or would it cover more than that? How far would the backups go? I would think it should work just like Time Machine. I mean, when Time Machine works, it's very elegant. You can go back to versions. You can include, um, you know, external drives. And, you know, they might, I guess, maybe you could put a limit on the size or, or just let you pay for whatever you use. But, you know, yeah, it should work just like, time machine, you know, iCloud time machine, whatever they want to call it. Um, you know, I, you just, you know, it's 2000, what, 16, we should not have to be thinking about backups. Hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. And it has been a pain point all these years. I know that there are people who use the whiz bangery of 2010, where they're, what is it called? Um, their time machine capsule or <laughs> time, airport time capsule. capsule. Yeah, time capsule. Ah, uh, just it feels really dated at this point. And I was just listening to some guys explain how dated the airport extreme actually is, and that it is, you know, really it's overdue a significant upgrade. And it would be great if that hardware upgrade coincided with an improved software performance. And I, I don't know, like like you said, the time machine itself on the Mac is fairly reliable so long as you don't have external drive failure <laughs> and or a failure with say notifications sometimes you have that background backup going along fine for months on end one day your uh, shared family mac has a little notifica notification that pops up in the corner that says something like oh um your time machine backup stopped running and one of your kids gets to the computer and closes the alert, like, okay, whatever. <laughs> There's an alert message on the screen. It's gone now. That's great. And daddy never knows about this. So then you go for a while longer without any backups. And one day you're like, what happened? Why didn't the Mac tell me that it wasn't backing up? Yeah, but I mean, if it was built into the system level, there would be no reason for it to not to not to back up. Ah, it seems like almost a pie in the sky idea though. I mean, I know it's got to come eventually on an infinite well, time scale. My point but... is the technical part of it's already done. I mean, I, I use arc and the arc is backing up right now to Amazon as we speak, Interesting. you know, and, uh, yeah, there's just no reason it couldn't be integrated into the OS. 
Well, it seems like it's much closer to reality than maybe I thought. <laughs> All right, Sean, your turn. Oh, yeah. My idea is the same idea as that, plus a little bit more. Uh, have you guys heard of Dropbox's Project Infinite? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mr. No. Okay. <laughs> so what it is is essentially having all of your Dropbox files on your computer, regardless of how much space you have available on your computer, um, which doesn't make any sense, but it does because they go, they're going like deep into the computer, like at the kernel level, to manage all this. At any given point, you can open up any file and you'll have it, and it does sort of like that smart management of the information that's on the computer and then sort of gets rid of it for the time being. Is that sort of like the equivalent of, of how photos work on iOS? Yeah, exactly. You have, you have your 30,000 photos, and then if you want one, you download it. Okay. Yeah. I, I would only hope, and Dropbox is pretty solid, I would only hope that it would actually work <laughs> because the iOS photos, like I've got a big photo library, and it's terrible. I'll, I'll get to that one picture that I wanted from five years ago You'll to show someone. <laughs> well, it, it, or it'll just give me a little exclamation point and just won't work. I just won't be able to download it. Mm. And it's scary. It's like, well, there was this picture I was going to show you, but it, it won't work. So, yeah, I guess that would be another <laughs> another iOS wish list like to fix photos. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure Dropbox is... is got a better solution but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, apples is uh not quite there in my opinion no but th that's where i'd like to have um essentially the whole entire operating system ha imagine having like the icloud backup would be integrated into having all of your files on your computer but also in the cloud at the same time so you wouldn't have to worry about like oh how much free space do i have on my computer doesn't uh, <clears throat> really matter as long as you have internet um, and then it would optimize it sort of like Photos does, but hopefully a lot smarter in a way where you really don't care about how much space you are, things take up. You simply have it and have it with you everywhere. And then it would also double as a backup, which would be like killing two or three <laughs> birds with one stone. But that would be that would be super pipe dream. <laughs> <laughs> but this would align with Apple's storage strategy. Over the last several years, they've been making more readily available, smaller, you know, internal drive storage offerings. And mm -hmm. they've been uh, just de-emphasizing getting a terabyte drive, uh, you know, and if you get it, it costs you an arm and a leg. Yeah. So I can see where this would be a huge win for, well, everyone from college students to business professionals. Oh, maybe even if it, I mean, just, I, I do, dare I hope, media professionals where if you could have that three gigabyte video in the filing structure for iCloud slash your native desktop system, finder system, then, oh man, that'd be so cool if you could manage more than 64 gigabytes of data on mm -hmm. your local MacBook drive. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> so, so Sean, do you think that you will be an early adopter of Dropbox Infinite uh, whatever the case might be. Yeah, I guess let me explain. I have a MacBook Air, and it has, I think it's 100, 250 gigs, solid amount of space. I have a little bit less than that in iCloud Drive, so about like 220. So when I open up my laptop, I have to pray that it turns on, because I don't know what's going to happen once it hits to the point where like, hey, you ran out of space, 
I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do with iCloud Drive. It's not like Dropbox where you can pause something from syncing. It's simply like, here is iCloud. <laughs> and then you're sort of just stuck with everything that you have. Uh, so I, I'm not sure what happens at that point. But I know I have to delete stuff constantly, which helps in one way. But at the same time, I don't want to delete things that if I don't have to. Yeah, we have this problem at work and we are dealing with several terabytes of data for video projects. And here at home, yeah, I have an external drive with all of my graphic design assets and then plus so much more in Dropbox. And yeah, if I want to work on something, I got to make it local and put something else up in the cloud or in the archive and deal with it locally and then spit it back out to make room for the next project. Like an animal. Yeah. Aren't we past that, really? Yeah. I mean, we've been brushing our teeth. We, uh, <laughs> we're doing so much more to make life better on our Macs. We, we don't need to be uh, ma- juggling the files like we are. And, but it also aligns with their approach to iOS data management, where they really don't want you to think about the file structure. They don't want you to see something like the Finder. They want you to hop into an app and just get that file that you need from an, a contextual menu. And I could see where maybe they would reinforce that approach more so on the Mac if we went this direction with a Dropbox infinite equivalent for the Mac. And I, I, I had hoped that that would not be something that was more heavily adopted for the platform in the process. Because as it is, Though I have my problems with the Finder, um, it's been a love-hate relationship for as long as I've been using the Finder. I've been using Mac since 93, and I, I've encountered bugs in the Finder that to this day, I just have workarounds, and they're, they're ages old. So when people say something like, well, you know, Apple computers, they just work, and oh my goodness, Apple is doomed, because today they don't. I'm like, guys, these bugs have been around for ages. You know, come off it. I'm not worried about it. But there are those issues. That being said, I still prefer the Finder system over any sort of file management on the phone. So if I'm going to manage files, I'm usually using Dropbox on iOS in order to juggle those files. Mm. I I, I far prefer it. Even um, if I'm managing graphic design image projects, I don't want to manage those inside the Photos app. (laughs) <laughs> which is where all the screenshots and anything else you download from the internet fall into. And uh, if I f- find a way, it, it's always going over to Dropbox. So uh, that's, a, that's a good suggestion. That's a, that's a keeper there, Sean. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I, I, I hope it comes out this year. Th- that's the one thing. I'd be so surprised if that happened. Uh, uh, you'd be surprised if Dropbox Infinite comes out this year? Um, I know they're working on that, but if that for for apple's platform yeah yeah, i've never even heard any kind of murmurs of rumors about something like that yeah that would maybe be a bit ambitious yeah (laughs) okay well my wish for the mac is not nearly so ambitious i just want to have a few minor tweaks to photo editing in the photos app and uh just smarter photo management and this is a pain point more so for my wife than it is for me. So I'm I'm looking out for her interests. Oh, L- let me explain what's going on. Award right over here. Thank you, thank you, thank <laughs> you. I'll take it. Um, what we have here is a, a a marriage that is built 
on Trust and our photo albums that were made in iPhoto. <laughs> so every six months, my wife makes a new photo album in iPhoto and everything is hunky-dory. It, it makes me look like the best husband of the year because all of my photos are added to her photo library and she has just this great collection and she makes these beautiful photo albums. She doesn't have a lick of graphic design talent, but she can create some great photo albums and then she gets them printed through Apple service and they show up in the mail. It's amazing. So we got all these, uh, you know, spiral bound books and a few hardback versions in our home library. And uh, every time someone asks you like, is that actually good? You know, do you actually like that service? Uh, how did they turn out? Oh, uh, we're talking about five-star product y'all. This is a great way to make your photo albums. It's worth every dollar and it's worth the time it takes to create these photo albums in the, in the app. Oh yeah, they're great. And then it was about what I, well, I guess it may have been with El Capitan um, that they came around that time, maybe a year ago or so that they came out with a huge update by replacing iPhoto with photos, which brings over a lot of parability or uh it's virtually the same for the Mac as it is now on iOS. And while this certainly would be a welcome transition for people that came to Apple on iOS and slowly made their way into Apple and the Mac ecosystem, and now they're trying to manage their photos and they're quite used to what you did on iOS first. It, my wife, you know, came to the Mac and iOS about, about the exact same time. And this has become a problem for her because not only did they change the interface and rearrange buttons and uh, like the, the feel of the window and its management, they've changed features so that just uh, of hunting down, finding a photo you want to add to a page is not as easily managed as it used to be. You don't have the same buttons to get forward and back through all of your library to you know to insert an image into one of the pages you're creating mm. and some of the little things you can do here and there with those images are not as flexible as they were in iPhoto and i could see where this would fall under apple's radar because of all the people that are using photos on the mac it's got to be a, a, a large number of people but not nearly as many as are, you know, are say people using photos in the camera app on their phones. Mm -hmm. Because these days we just let these things synchronize in the background and we mostly forget what our Mac can <laughs> even do. So when we get to the Mac, we're talking about a minority of people who ever bother to manage their photos anymore. Most people just let it go into autopilot. And then of the people who bother to manage their photos, there's a significant minority that care to even do anything with their photo books. So when you get to that group of people, how many of them actually notice that these features are gone? It's got to be an incredible small minority of the minority of the minority. So I'm rather disappointed because I don't have much hope that there is going to be significant change and restoration of some of these missing features. But I'm hoping that people on the inside of Apple that perhaps used the photo album creation tools for themselves stripped those features out when they were building the photos app from the ground up for the Mac and know that it's on their to-do list that they want it back in the app for themselves personally. And for that kind of reason, those features may get back into Mac OS. And uh, so I, I do have some hope, 
I'm not promising my wife anything, <laughs> but um, Apple, if you want to save my marriage, get us those features back. <laughs> that is a desperate plea. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they listen to you. <laughs> this is not just a wish, guys. This is a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know the people that uh, use the the photo album uh, part of iPhoto or when it was part of iPhone and photos, they're like all for it. I feel like it's a, a very small but diehard group of people that do it that way. And I'm guessing you were one of those or are <laughs> right. still one of those. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, at this, at this point, we've been doing it for nine years. I don't want to think about finding another way to manage, manage your photos and then to upload them into, say, a web service where we create photo albums. Mm -hmm. I, it, I know that there would be a lot of redundant processes and just more wastes of time. It usually takes uh, two to three weeks to create one of these fo photo albums when the time comes. Or in my wife's case, she'll just uh, burn the midnight oil and she'll get it done in a couple of days. <laughs> but it's well worth that time spent. And if we have to do some steps in the local photos app and then repeat some of those steps by moving them to another service to get the photo album book printed, it's just, uh, that that's really not ideal. It's going to kill a lot more time. Mm-hmm. All right, so watchOS, um, I guess I'll go first for this one. WatchOS yes, yes. for me, I, I have, thank you, I have the Apple Watch Steel Edition one, and uh, I've been very happy with it, but now after a year with this device, it occurs to me just how irrelevant the materials actually are. And while <laughs> it's nice, it got a nice mirror finish to it, I would recommend to most people, if you were interested in the market for one of the Apple Watches, um, don't feel any shame going for the sports edition. It's a, it's a fine device. And in terms of internal hardware and performance, it's virtually identical to the more expensive Apple watch in the steel model. Um, and herein lies, uh, my suggestion for improvements to the, the device itself. I, I I'm disappointed from day one that my Apple Watch has never been as fast as the demo models in an Apple retail store. And when I went in twice for try-ons, I played around with the app, not just watching the video playback that shows features, but I actually interacted with the apps and they worked really fast. And I think that Apple also marketed the device to be just a rather smart, quick, yeah speedy interaction very like oh i have to do this thing really fast like i only have two seconds oh i did it okay i'm getting on with my life exactly and what usually happens is you need that timer really fast and you have the simplest request of all time siri start a three minute timer and she has to think about it for 10 to 15 seconds <laughs> and it feels like an eternity because you don't even know if she's going to come up with the results of i'm sorry i can't do anything for you right now yeah, and now everyone has a three-minute timer on their phone. Right <laughs> I'll, I'll bleep myself out. <laughs> oh, it's all right. Uh, but yeah, I have the same thing. I, I simply a timer. That is the exact use case of me using Siri. Um, that's what. I, that's all I really use it for. Is like, hey, set a timer for twenty minutes, and I wait. I see the screen move. I see it populate. I finally see the numbers, and then it starts. And like before that point in time. I'm not sure if I put my wrist down and the, the screen goes to sleep, 
will it happen or will it not? I'm not sure. Usually not. So it's hard to trust the device at the given point in time to do what you want when you want it. See, I, I don't need the watch right now to have more apps or to have more features. Nope. I feel like the ones that are here are presently very robust. There's never been a crash. Sometimes there's a, a disconnection from, say, a connection online, so it's not able to retrieve some kind of information. Uh, and that's understandable because, you know, my phone, my phone doesn't have a connection or I'm too far away from my phone. So what concerns me is that I'm very happy with all the features I already have on the watch. It's, it's really doing a lot for me. I talked to Siri with it. I, I do have those timers. I use it for my alarm clock in the morning and I've used it for sleep tracking. I've used it for the pedometer and for the activity tracking and workouts and it always works. It's just, why is it so daggum slow? I mean, come on, Apple. So <laughs> it, I, I'm not interested in upgrading to the Apple Watch 2 just to get a faster processor or something like that. I feel like we were promised better performance from Watch OS. So I'm not talking about a hardware issue. I believe that there's got to be something you can do to give the first generation users a better, faster experience. Joshua, it looks like a, that sort of goes right into what you were looking for. Right. I mean, I've got the same same concerns. People ask me if I like the the Apple Watch when they see it, and and I always kind of just go, "Well, it's a long story." Um, you know, it, I think it's good for notifications. I think it's good for for glances. I use OmniFocus a lot. Some some of the basic things, very simple Siri commands, and that's about it. I mean, I, I think it, I think there's a lot of work to be done on that. Yeah, not much more to add to that. So then what is your idea, Sean? My idea is essentially going back to the drawing board on how the user interface is, both the the digital... Oh, hold on. Can you hear my dog barking? <laughs> I can. <laughs> if you want to do something about it, that's okay. I, I, either way. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, hopefully he's done. I think he's done. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, essentially going back to the basics of what the watch should do, both uh, for the user interface of the hardware, but also the software. Uh, because, well, both of the buttons are roughly useless, useless to me, like both of the physical ones, but the one that brings up my friends that I always immediately get out of, and then the other one that brings me to the app screen the circles, which I also only ever go to for the workout to start and stop that. Um, other oh, than, yeah. oh, and the Apple TV remote. Surprisingly, I'm always without my phone or the actual TV remote. And I am left to looking weird on my <laughs> wrist navigating <laughs> the Apple TV. Uh, but other than that, like the hardware buttons are roughly useless. I'd rather have them go start a workout if I hold it or double tap it sometimes. And then I actually use the glances more than anything. I don't know about you guys. That's uh, my most accessed part other than like the on-screen, it's like little, um, I forget what they're called, widgets, the things on the... Well, the complications. The complications, yeah. Yeah, I, I do use the, the glances a lot, especially to play and pause things or, or skip forward and back. Oh, yeah. I, I use I use that a lot. 
I do like the glances. It occurs to me that I don't use them as often as I did about six months ago mm-hmm. because I made some changes to the compli- or, yeah, the complications I use, and I'm very happy with the arrangement. And I don't want something like, hmm, well, I don't know. If there were a timer and alarm comp- uh, glance, that might be helpful, but oh, yeah. maybe, maybe that's not in Johnny Ives' vision. So. <laughs> yeah, I... I was wondering, uh, do you guys, like, if, let's say if you're trying to get to a glance, how easy do you usually find it? I usually find it pretty quick. I have about oh, yeah. five, so it's, oh, yeah. not, it's not that hard once you know it's to the far right or <laughs> to the far left. It's, it's pretty easy. Okay. I try to access the glance sometimes when I'm, like, in the app home, honeycomb, like, circle screen, and you can't access the glances from there. Oh, right, yeah. So I have to go, like hit another button because I accidentally hit the button and then go back and then flip it up. And then that's, that's my usual, uh, like workflow. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Which is, uh, it has like two, st- three steps too many. Oh, so so who, true. who here uses the, the flat button to access your, your friends, little, little friend dial <laughs> thing. Um, Never on that, purpose. That is the worst. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, it's pretty, but, I've never, ever, <laughs> ever well, used it. And the thing is, too, that I have loaded it up twice, and I don't know why, but three times it has just wiped the slate clean, and I have nothing in there right now, except for one dude. One guy is in my current group of friends, and I'm not that lonely in life. I have a <laughs> lot more favorites on my phone than I have on my watch. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, so that's my wish list, of thinking about those buttons. And making them useful. Yeah, that's a very, <laughs> very good idea. Oh, I see that there's Joshua. Okay, he just sent me uh, some line art. Awesome. <laughs> first time I've had any line art on my watch since... Uh, since the first week. The first week. <laughs> the first... <laughs> Maybe. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Sean, thanks a bunch for being our special guest. Wow, that was fast. Yeah. We should have talked about so much more, but... I know. Time and space are not on our side, so... <laughs> We're actually in time and space, so I don't know, like, <laughs> we're encompassed by it. We're the inside. I'm not out. Topic for next time. Yes. <laughs> it's Stephen Hawking in here. <laughs> Where would you like people to find you online? Oh, that's a good question. Three places. First place, I have a website. I should probably write more. I actually do, but I don't publish, but I should probably publish more. Uh, spjpgrd.com. I'll say it slower. S-P-J-P-G-R-D. Com. And those are just your initials. Anybody can keep up with those. Oh, yeah. Just my initials. Just those <laughs> things. Um, and then the same thing for Twitter, SPJPGRD. Uh, and then I also help run a local meetup here in Columbus, uh, Columbus Web Group. Uh, we do weekend workshops, uh, monthly meetups. The last one, we actually had a guy from Netflix come in, tell us about like how they do rapid prototyping there, uh, which is pretty cool. And then we just started a mentorship program, which is... Everything we do is free mentorship, but we're pairing up mentees and mentors, sort of like match.com style, but we're doing the like the matchmaking ourselves, trying to divide, uh, pair up like designers and developers to make Columbus an even better place to be a techie person. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Like I said, we'll have you back to talk about that other thing that we have in the outline because <laughs> uh, it is something that I have been saving for the show for a very long time. Ooh. It seems very appropriate whenever Apple is about to announce 
a new iPhone related product. And I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something about the iPhone in a week. So yeah, I'm going to uh, want to keep it close to the top of the outline. We're going to have to talk about this. If you want to check it out, it's uh, it's good homework for everyone who listens to the show. It's this, it's a video series by Kirby Ferguson named Everything is a Remix. Sean referred to it earlier in the show. It's very influential on some of my philosophy about design. So check it out. I would give it high rating. Thanks for joining us for episode 55 of Tectonic. The show notes are available at tectonic.fm slash 55 or whatever app you're using to listen to the show. You'll find links in there to anything that we discussed. The show is at tectonicfm on Twitter. I'm JCS Darnell on Twitter. And my co-host is at Joshua Pfeiffer. If you want to drop us a line, email should go to hello at tectonic.fm. I have been Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to Tectonic. Goodbye.